This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today, I am flying solo. In fact, I'm looking in the conference room over there, and I see the beard, but he doesn't do Monday podcasts, and I wanted to get this one knocked out. We are starting off the Protege Season 2 finalist series, and it's appropriate that the first guy that we have on and release is Mr. Ryan Smith, who was the first one to get immunity. What's up, man? Hey, David. Thanks for having me. A little disappointed. Not going to get to meet Kyle. Well, I can have him pop in and like wave real quick, but he's coming off of a uh, weekend, a birthday weekend in Miami that was combined with a uh, his wife's trip that she won through ADP. Uh-oh, he's coming. There he is. <laughs> Look at him. He's on his feet. What's up, Kyle? He is. He can't hear you because I'm wearing my headphones, but that's it. <laughs> he said it's oiled up and ready for action. That's what he nice. told us earlier in sales meeting. Whatever that means. Um, that may be residual. That may have been intentional. I'm not sure. But anyhow, so um, we got all kinds of stuff we can talk about, man. But um, why don't you give everybody kind of the overview of, of who you are and where you came from first, if they haven't watched like your bio video and all the other stuff that you've done so far. Yep. Did a full recap in the in the bio video. Went all out on that. but. Um... So I'm from Lawton, Oklahoma. That's where I was born and raised. Uh, I had survived 19 years there and went to college at University of Central Oklahoma on a music scholarship. I was playing cello and quickly realized that I wasn't as good as I thought I was in high school um, and also found the more exciting um, social aspects of college. So, uh, You running for office, man? <laughs> you're you're like you're really dancing around like I will just tell people straight up I went to college and I went from a place where I was the best at what I did to being in a place where everybody was the best at what they did playing ball right so that was a huge wake up for me and I realized pretty quickly that there were no rules in college either and I like I people think I'm joking it, it took me eight years to get through school because I really really enjoyed my college experience yeah. I, every ounce of it so sure. I, yeah I, I don't know did you grow up in a in a pretty strict home no I wouldn't say it was too strict I mean it was it was an insurance home I, my dad was in the insurance business uh, but really it was soccer practice multiple nights a week and I was pretty competitive in that and uh, so didn't really have much of a social life in high school so once i got Same. that freedom yeah it was, it, it was yeah different. for mine it was probably the fact that i grew up southern baptist for starters and then second that i was always always running to a different practice or whatever else i mean i didn't even date anybody until i got into college that's how yeah. that's how busy i was i didn't care wasn't even remotely interested in it um probably had some of my parents or some of my family a little bit concerned about how i might turn out but you know i had it all dialed in when you're that age, man, if you're that, I mean, if you're, if you're competitive, which I am, and you're, you're reasonably good, which I was, you're focusing all your efforts on whatever it's going to take to get to the next level. 
I looked at it as if I if I double down on baseball and I actually make it to the pros, I'm going to have the pick of the litter for any girl I want to date. So let go. me just focus on this right now because anything outside of that's a distraction. It's interesting how it all came together. I was um, introduced to music and orchestra in fifth grade, and really I was led into that by my grandparents, uh, my grandfather who ran the agency before my dad and uncle. But uh, they kind of helped me get started in music. They were huge in the arts community in Lawton. And it's interesting how that how it all developed. I I was real passionate about soccer, but in my sophomore year of high school, I found out that I could kick a football as well. So I was a kicker on the ah. football team. Um, I had a couple really good years, but didn't want to go to a junior college. So instead went the orchestra route. But that actually in turn led me back to insurance because UCO had a, they still do have an insurance and risk management program. So I figured family business might be a, a career path that I could um, take and run with and see what I can make happen with it. So um, out of UCO, got an internship and then a full-time job at AAA Insurance in the underwriting department. That's where I first got licensed and got my feet wet with personal home and auto quotes, hundreds a day, just uh, ripping out quotes for agents in Montana and Wyoming and uh, doing a bunch of you know, home evaluation reports for people. So got pretty tired of that. It was, it was just data entry. Um, when a risk management position opened up in an oil and gas company in Oklahoma City, and boy, was that a wild ride. Um, I was insurance analyst for about three and a half years, and that was uh, the end of 2014 when I started that. So immediately went through a layoff, and then during that three years, three more layoffs, bankruptcy, it was, it was nuts. Um, so in that time, um, my son was born, needed something a little bit more stable, and the family business was there. My dad and I had, had talks about me joining, working remotely, and trying to grow the book of business in Oklahoma City, which is where I'm at still today, um, which is a, a much more growing market for, uh, for business, for all sorts of industry. So been in the family business, the agency for four years now, doing mainly commercial lines. How old are you at this point? Because I thought, I mean, I, I feel like you're really young. To have all that experience. Yeah, that's a lot of experience to have at 32, man. It's interesting. I've, you know, I've got the, the company side experience. I've got experience with commercial lines, you know, from the consumer side. And really that, that was more eye-opening than probably what I can even put into words now, working with, you know, Aon and Lockton and, and some of these global firms seeing how they operate. Um, I really haven't had a chance to put that into use with all the, you know, minimum premium, small mom and pop shop accounts <laughs> that we have in the agency. So the protege, that was my ticket in, I think. So how much has the analyst job helped you prepare for what you're doing now? Well, as you can imagine, uh, I, I am pretty analytical. I will get into the detail no. and stay there. <laughs> so uh, we've had this conversation before where... No, listen, I'll be honest with you, man. Um, Ashley, right? Uh, Ashley Napier. Napier? Yep. Yeah. She's coming on the podcast in a few weeks. We couldn't remember when it was. I was really distraught when she couldn't recall the date because I felt like that should have been a monumental day <laughs> in her life that we were going to actually have her on an interview. We were joking back and forth. Yeah, we were joking back and forth at Brainshare, but she asked me, she said, what do you think about Ryan? I was like, if Ryan can be about 50% less analytical in what he does, he will absolutely crush it. And it goes back to something I talk about all the time. Number one, look, I think everybody starts out on one side of the fence or the other. You're either a salesperson or you're a technician. You're never both right out of the box. And so people who are salespeople only go into the production role and people who are analytical go into like risk management, underwriting, insurance compliance, something along those lines. But I feel like the people who are the most successful at what we do are the hybrid of the two. Like you, and that's the thing, man. I feel like I've got pretty good chops at sa in the sales game, but I'm deadly when it comes to the technical aspect of it. Like I think people tend to overlook that because I don't really ever get into technical insurance speak. But I take my continuing education seriously. I know it. I just also am calibrated enough when I'm at the sales table 
you know, at the closing table, somebody's conference room, I don't need to show them every single trick that I know, right? I yeah. think I think for some of us, and this is this would be advice that I would give to you, protege or otherwise, and, and I've given it a thousand times, but I, I think that people come to meet with us with the understanding we're already qualified. We don't need to prove anything. And I honestly also think they come not really caring about the insurance. As long as they know they're covered and they can suppose that you know, make the supposition that they're covered, then that's fine. You, you have to show them just enough to get the deal done, but not like everything that you have. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sure. sense? Yeah, it does. And, and it is right in line with what you say all the time. You know, it, you've already proven that you're worthy of being in the, in the meeting with them. I mean, they wouldn't have accepted the invite otherwise, but yep. you know, you have to believe in yourself. And so I think part of what I've struggled with in my submissions in the protege is talking too much and trying to prove to myself that I know what I'm talking about while I'm submitting it you know, to you. And, and so a five minute video turns into a 15 minute video or. Uh, well, I think that's, I think that's true, man. I mean, in that's something you're going to end up having to deal with your entire career until you get it. I wouldn't say it's broken, but until you get it dialed in, sure, you don't have anything to prove to me. You know what I'm saying? I, I believe that you're hundred percent capable of being there. That's why I put you in there to begin with. But I, I it's funny that you have that much self-realization about it because that's exactly what I was going to say. I don't know who you're trying to convince. It sounds like you're trying to convince yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, going back to your question about the analyst position, you know, that's certainly not a sales position and doing the, the data. It sounds terrible. Or, it sounds terrible. <laughs> honestly, it was a lot of policy reading. I read a lot of policies back then, making sure that all the endorsements were there, making sure everything was email. It was printing a lot of emails that we received so they could go in the folder because our file room was immaculate. Uh, the risk manager, she wanted the paper files. Her office was like towers of paperwork, but uh, she was brilliant and she had everything organized in her mind. You know, the office is a different story. But uh, so, you know, I, I didn't have any sales experience coming into this role and I've always just kind of leaned on my social skills, I suppose, uh, being able to have a conversation and walk into a place, you know, with some confidence. And so that's, that's kind of what I'm leaning on. You've already won the battle, man. Yeah. At that point, you've already won the battle. That's what most people lack. Then there's the people who have all the self-confidence and no technical knowledge whatsoever. And they're going to cling to happy hour or a round of golf to get the deal done or whatever. But well, to kind of wrap it all up, uh, this conversation about you know my my analytical versus sales. Ultimately, my goal is to be the fourth generation agency owner of Smith and Sons, and I mean I'm a part owner already, but I want to take this generation of the business to new places, to new heights, things it's never seen before, things my great grandfather could not have imagined. I mean, we're on the internet, so he certainly didn't imagine that, but. Um, you know, there's there's so much potential, and in today's world, there's no reason why you have to sit in the old office uh, where you know the town is not really growing. There's a lot of people moving out. There's no business developing there, so take the business to a market that is growing, and that makes sense. And so, you know, I'm looking to be statewide. You know, have have three offices that cover the state, and maybe going beyond that eventually, but in order for me to get to that point, I have to prove myself that I can bring in the revenue so we can get there. So again, that's that's how it came to me wanting to be in this competition is to really learn how to bring in that revenue and justify some of the expenses that I know we need some of this technology that's going to be able to, to put us statewide instead of just in the small corner of the state that we're, we've been in for 99 years. So how many offices, do you guys just one office now or do you have three right now? Nope, just one. Same one since the 80s. Um, same carpet since the 80s. Um, it's, you know, it's just the one. There's been four employees for a couple decades and um, I'm, I'm ready for that to change. I'm ready for that to grow. So how's the older generation feel about that? My dad is excited. He definitely wanted me to be a part of this and, you know, Everyone has been making sacrifices so that I can work on these projects, but um, that's kind of the struggle I'm in now is balancing that because at the beginning of the year, 
even leading into this year, I was, you know, we all had a meeting and said, I'm focusing far more on sales this year than I have the past three years. And there's a good reason for it. But, you know, then it just so happened that we bought another agency. And so we brought on, we basically doubled our book with one carrier. And so all of that's been dumped on the other employees in the office and you know the phone does not stop ringing and people are walking in paying cash and you know it it's draining so i'm trying to balance that with the protege competition especially leading into the production phase well the good news is the hard part's over man now all you got to do is just go out and write business because you built the mousetrap so this is the rest of your life at this point. That's what I tell everybody. And I mean, you know, the thing that I've, I, I looked for as I was going through this whole process, what really would show me who is the, who's making a difference or, or who's really taking it seriously is the people like you, Sean Kirby's another one where I could see that, okay, this guy's not just building this for now. This guy's building this because this is where he plans on going. And to that end, you know, we laugh and we joke about you being analytical, but at the end of the day, you have to be if this is the rest of your career. And you've got your agency kind of hinging on it. Not not whether or not you're ultimately going to be successful, but you're certainly your plans for what you want to do for the foreseeable future hinge on that. And you can't take shortcuts to do it. So good on the rest of the people in the agency that they've picked it up, you know, picked up the 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 slack a little bit so that you could do some of those things, I do feel like it'll pay you, you know, an exponent of what, um, you know, what the investment is. Right. Yeah. Back in the day, you know, my grandfather, he was writing what then I would assume to be middle market size accounts. I mean, this is back in the 60s and maybe the 50s is when he first started. But, you know, since then, my uncle and dad really focused on keeping business, um, and they did bring in some new business as well, but a lot of it has over time become small accounts. And so that's what I've found myself working on. And, you know, it was kind of a light bulb moment on one of your podcast episodes that says whether it's a $500 premium or a $5,000 premium, you know, up to a certain point, it's the same thing. It's the same problems, but you get past that and you're starting to talk with business owners that are really more concerned about, you know, not the price point, but what are you getting alongside that? Or what's the value that you can actually bring to the table? And so that was really, that really lit, you know, the sign in my head that said, this is the path you need to follow. Mm. I can tell you that, there's a marked difference even inside the middle market. So to me, you know, there's a lot of people that just don't, for whatever reason, to me, I, I, it's easy for me to say it now, but I'm immune to what the numbers on a policy are. I have zero reaction one way or the other. Now, if it's a million in premium, I'm still going to have a reaction to that. But I mean, if you're looking at something that's, you know, 25,000, 50,000, I can remember the first time I wrote an account over 100,000, I got excited about it. Now it's like me. You know, and I don't say that in a braggadocious way. It's just that after you're involved in it for so long, it's like anything else, man. You have to, it's like honestly being addicted to drugs. You have to have more and more and more to get the same reaction. And so, um, from my perspective, it'll be interesting to see as you start moving upstream from where you're at or, or the, the typical type of an account that, the agency has right now as you start moving up and you get to that hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand and north of that, you know, what that looks like for you because there is a marked difference. If you know, twenty five thousand, you're still having a very similar conversation to the five thousand dollar bot. Fifty, there's a little bit more meat on the bone. You can start having a little bit of a business discussion, but the amount of level the level that you're able to impact that is minimal. And then when you get to the, you know, you get to a hundred thousand, now you're talking, you know, if there's a hundred thousand dollar workers comp policy and there's a 10 point swing on the mod, a lot of people are going to pay attention to you over $10,000. Right. Whereas if that's the same thing, it's like, what do you mean? There's only like a $500 difference. It's more of a headache for me to change everything than it is for me to try and fix it. So, and then the further up you go, it becomes more and more of a business conversation. I mean, I think that's one of the things that probably clicked with Derek Hayden last year 
was that he started calling on these bigger accounts and realized it's actually much easier. It, it really is. If you don't want to have to, I mean, because to me, it, even today, if you called me and you wanted to buy like a $500 Hartford BOP, I'm going to have a harder time closing that than I would a $500,000 account. I really am because I'm nobody to that person, right? I'm not a trusted advisor. I'm the guy that answered the phone looking for, you know, to help quote insurance. Whereas if I go into a place intentionally or I'm referred into a place that comes with a certain um, expectation of what my skill set is. And when I go in and, and we just start talking about general operations and business and everything else, it's over. Like it, it's over at that point because I understand how you tie the two together. It's really exciting to see some of these companies coming out and, you know, you've done webinars and things on it, quote, bind issue products and, and ways that you can point those people that are calling and still generate that revenue without having to put in all the hours to, to fill out the applications. They can do it themselves. And so that's been a part of the transition since I've come in. You know, I, I mentioned my dad who has been there 40 plus years while the other two employees are 10 years and 20 years there. So technology has changed so much in that time and, you know, introducing those things can be difficult. And that's why having mentors, um, you know, through, through the independent agent channel has been so valuable for me. Talking with people like Bill Pilgrim, Jason Cass, of course, uh, Mike Crowley, and, uh, you know, having that experience that you can lean on and, and figure out some of those things using the advice of, you know, older people who've been there. I think that's that's really huge. And so for me, I I don't shy away from asking for help. Um, that's that's going to be a huge part of the change that is needed in in my agency. So, yeah, um, I don't think you should ever stop that. Those are certainly three good guys. I mean, Bo, Mike, and Cass are all three friends of mine, and certainly people that I respect in the industry. So I don't, I don't think that changes for any of us. I'm sorry. My oldest son is overnighting a bunch of books to uh, Arlington, Texas, where I'm supposed to speak. And he's apparently having problems with basic execution of shipping. We're there ready we to get you here to Oklahoma. It's coming, man. Hopefully Dirty 130 is out and abound by then, man. I'm trying to get it wrapped up. But the freaking protege has been a nightmare this time. Not because, it, and I, I shouldn't say like, it's it's a nightmare logistically. That's it. Like I enjoy doing it. I, you know, I have a good time with it and all of that. But I just I've ended up having more travel than I expected. And then you know, with Rocky being the producer and having wildfires that he gets called out of state to fight, that's not really helped any. Um, it's just it's it's been crazy. But it's left me with not a lot of time for anything else. And I've got like probably two to three chapters left. I've just got to bang out. I already know what they are. Like my whole architecture is written on my um, remarkable tablet with all of my sub points. I just have to sit down. I may actually get to the point where I dictate it on the plane and then let Otter transcribe it for me when I land so I can have something to start with and get it over and done with. Once, I, once I'm done writing it, it's three weeks. That's it. Oh, wow. It'll, hit, it'll be out in three weeks. Um, so I have to get that done. But so I understand the why talk to me a little bit about the the experience that you've had like with your coaches cuz you're with Justin and Ciara, correct? Yeah. Yeah, they're And amazing. that was a that was kind of an interesting little scenario too because we had two people that that um were at the same agency on the same team, right? That left. Right. Weren't uh, Crystal and Sarah both on that team and then all of yep. a sudden they weren't? <laughs> okay. Yep. Yeah, and so you guys actually, that worked out in your favor, man, because you probably got more FaceTime with the coaches than anything else. So sure. you should send them a thank you note. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I, I didn't actually meet either of them. I mean, not face-to-face. -face. We were on one call together, and it was just kind of the initial, uh, our very first team call is before the first challenge. So I was actually in the middle of moving. Um, and so I was kind of all over the place myself, but from there it took off quick. It was like within a couple of days, challenge one was out and, you know, our whole team was working on challenge one and we were kind of bouncing ideas off each other and the message, um, and the group message we had. But since then, really it's, it's been Kevin, myself, uh, getting to meet 
pretty much as often as we wanted with Justin and Ciara. So that's been a huge, huge help for the two of us. And something that Ciara pointed out pretty early on was, you know, she's been through all the modules in Killing Commercial and Justin's in Killing Commercial and no other team can say that. He probably hasn't ever even logged in. Sloan's probably never logged in. He's too busy doing Sloan things, man. He can't concern himself (laughs) with what the minions are doing. I'm just kidding. But no, um, you know, you couldn't have gotten two coaches that are more different from you, number one. So I think that helps you with your perspective. I can say unequivocally, Kevin, your teammate, is not like you guys come from completely different universes in terms of how you think. And and I'm not saying that one's right and one's wrong. It's just Kevin comes from a completely different place than I think. And I tend to find that I'm on the more creative end of things most of the time. And he has really blown my mind. He's he's done a really, really good job. But before we get into the, the team stuff, let's back up for just a second. Where'd you think you were going to end up? Like, as, as they were going in to do the draft, who? where did you figure you were going to go? And it's uh, okay to say you thought you were going to go number one if you thought that. No, I didn't. I I had really no expectations. I was I was Because that's who I, I figured you were. 12. I figured it would be. Yeah, I figured it was going to be you because... Mitch hadn't come in yet. I feel like Mitch has more visibility than everybody else. So maybe he would have been number one if we wouldn't have saved him as kind of like a wild card. Cause I didn't even know Mitch was coming in until after the draft was over. Yeah, Like I needed to go out and find a couple of people. He was one of the ones and that's when, or actually it wasn't until the draft was over. It was like right before the draft. That's when I had talked to Heath and Ariel and all of them. But, um, I, I, I knew you would be, I knew you would be at the top. I am in no way talking smack or throwing shade at Jonathan Lugo. I did not see him going number one. I thought that was an interesting pick. He comes from a good agency, um, him and Andy both, but I was really, really surprised. So for the reasons you mentioned, the fact that CR has been through all the modules and everything, you already have a leg up on everybody else because I don't think anybody else, Hayden probably hasn't been through all of them. I know Keating hasn't. Mick hasn't. Yeah. So you had that's that's almost like an unfair advantage. Yeah. Kind of. It it's definitely paid off in in more than one challenge. But yeah, the the draft was interesting. Uh, it was it was pretty exciting for me. Um, you know, leading up to it, I had watched every other contestant's videos. You know, I'm a little bit analytical in that way. <laughs> and yeah, I was surprised that some of them were, you know, ninety seconds or something, and mine turned out to be twenty minutes or I don't know how long it was, but um, I left it all on the table. I I went I went for the wow factor, and um, you know I, I think something I heard on the draft episode, um, Brian Keating and, and Mick Hunt, they talked about you know if it takes you that long to get your point across in a bio video, then you know maybe that's why they chose to go for Lugo. You, but yours was guy. very yours was entertaining too, though. That's yeah. the whole thing, man. Like yours went long, but it. I kept waiting to see which wrestler was going to show up next. Right. Somehow, somehow the protege took on like some sort of a wrestling theme after IPFS made the championship belt that they showed up to boot camp um, right before Innovation 2021. And then from there on, it's like, all right, I'll, I'll take it and run with it, whatever. I literally have like, and since then, I've had like three or four other people give me like championship belt. Really? I've got, yeah, I need to like make a wall of belts in my office or something, but yeah, yeah it's funny. I, when I was putting that video together, Derek made a video and he had his belt and you know, that just uh, reminded me of all the times you've talked about wrestling on the podcast. And I thought that's, that's how I'm going to stand out in this. And so that, that was my theme, I guess I could say, but um, no, I, I made an effort to reach out to as many of the coaches as I could. I was only able to get a hold of three and it ended up that they were each on different teams. So I spoke with Derek Hayden, Ryan Keating, and Ciara before the draft happened. So I felt pretty good about being drafted by somebody, but I I didn't really have any expectations for You weren't the only one that employed that strategy either, by the way. There was probably three or four of you that did that. I mean, Karen Seifert, I think, called everybody with a license in 13 states close to Florida, like before she came on. It was hilarious because every time I turn around, somebody else is sending me a message. Hey, who's Karen, who's this Karen Seifert? Who? Nice. So 
yeah, and then I had uh, a couple people sent stuff in the mail ahead of time. It, it was interesting to see. It was actually kind of cool to, to watch how people were working to position themselves. Yeah. Because nobody did anything like that the first season oh. at all. So that was a good move. I think it caught some of the coaches. And, and actually, Karen called coaches from last season. Okay. In addition to coaches from this season, because she was wanting to find out what advice they would give her or whatever else. So I guess it's, I have um, a, a leg up there because, you know, Jason Katz spoke at our Young Agents Conference here in Oklahoma last year. And he came in the night before we went to dinner. And after dinner, I, you know, pulled him aside and said, I got to be on Protege season two. What should I do in my video? And so he just started asking me these questions. And uh, I kind of told him my story and how, you know, how I'm passionate about the risk management side of the industry as opposed to just the insurance. And he said, run with that. And so that's kind of what I did. And um, the fact that we completed um, oh, 75 hard, you know, together, we were kind of on that journey together. And um, I think that's kind of why from the beginning, he's, he's chosen me to be his horse, as he says. Um, so- yeah, man, he's vocal about it. No pressure. Yeah, no kidding. So what have you learned as you've gone through the process so far? Well, I'm still analyzing, I guess you could say, how to best go about my messaging. And so more so than just the cold call scripts or the elevator pitch or even my emails that I'm sending out, it's how do I how do I really be more intentional and more focused on the words that I'm using and being, you know, being, being smarter and more strategic about what I'm saying. And so uh, that's kind of led me to, um, I don't know, a standstill at some points. It's like, well, I don't even know where to start. I've, I've written three paragraphs for one email. It's like, I need to, I need to cut this back, but where do I start? So, Something that in the feedback you gave me was um, get the Hemingway editor and plug it in there. It'll tell you what sentences are too long and what, you know, it's confusing. So that's helped some for sure. Uh, Like I mentioned before, having CR as a coach with her branding um, mastermind, that's been a big help to me. And, you know, I'm not sure you recall, I hear you have a great memory, but we actually spoke. 2019, I think it was before the pandemic. And, you know, I told you what agency I was with. And you said, well, you know, you're going to have to consider rebranding because that Smith and Sons insurance agency is not going to fly in a middle market, you know, meeting. So look at that. And so from that time, I've been thinking about what to do. And so CR I'm pretty consistent. I'm pretty consistent in giving that advice too, yeah. especially, especially if it's an agency or demographic in, in, I understand the legacy of the name. And that's why I always tell people don't abandon your name, you know, leave your agency, however you want to leave it, but brand at least brand your process when you're going to do that. Right. And uh, you know, the, the example that I always give, and if we had talked about it after he had done this, then I probably gave you the same example, but you know, I was, I was having lunch down here with my friend, Greg Hogan, who has an agency up in, uh, New York. And I told Greg the same thing. He was, he's in killing commercial. And I, I told him, I'm like, his agency's name is the Caraba agency. So every time I hear it, I'm thinking, wow, I cannot wait to get Johnny, you know, the Johnny or whatever. Cause I love Caraba's Caraba's is like one of my favorite places to eat, but you know, hit the name of his agency is the Caraba agency. And I told him, I'm like, look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I mean, no offense by it whatsoever, but I just don't know how, how the Caraba agency plays in the middle market when Aon, Willis, USI, whoever, Brown and Brown, whoever is there to compete against you. It's like, who are the three agencies we're talking to this year? That's how I always think about it. And it just doesn't sound like it belongs. And he's like, look, already ahead of you. I already filed for the the trademark and everything. And I'm going to be Catalyst Risk Solutions in the middle market. I'm like, okay. So he's Catalyst Risk Solutions powered by the Caraba agency. And that way you can leave the name of the agency attached, but people are shopping with you as somebody who sounds like you belong at the table. Right. It, it's, it, it doesn't take anything away from your intellect. 
You know, I think that there's a lot of really smart people in smaller agencies and their brand and marketing is what keeps them from getting bigger opportunities. When really, if they had the chance to, per, to, to uh, present, they would probably win accounts if people would give them the opportunity. You just have to figure out how to get, get your uh, foot in the door. So yeah. that, to, to that end, you know, absolutely being on Ciara's team is a huge help because she's really good at that. It was funny when I sat down and kind of looked at who my coaches were going to be. Um, Ciara was a no-brainer. I, I wanted a female coach. I actually wanted more than one female coach. She's the only one who agreed to do it. Um, Justin Sloan, you know, the three winners from last time. So pairing them to, those two together were good. Sloan's got good technical. Um, he's good with systems too. You know, his pipe drive build out is legendary amongst uh, certain circles. Um, you know, but CR brings the branding, the creativity, different perspective. And then I, I put Sedlak and, and Hayden together for the same reason. Hay, Hayden is good technically, but he's also relatively creative, pretty good marketing guy in his own right. And then truthfully, I put Mick Hunt and Ryan together because I wanted Mick Hunt to rub off on Ryan and, and make Ryan better, you know, and, and knowing that again, when, you know, Ryan was one of those people last year where he was kind of up and down and up and down. And depending on which version of him you got, you got a really, really good version. Actually, he's very similar to you from an analytical standpoint. Um, we just very rarely see that side of him in social circles. And then, you know, Mick is the process guy. So he could take everything that Ryan's trying to, to articulate and create and push that out to people in a way that they'll understand and be able to systematize it. So, you know, if I were to look back and, and say, and then obviously draft was done before we ever announced the mayor and Ariel. So if I were to look back and say, you know, of the three teams, do I think you ended up on the right one? I think you did. I yeah. think you ended up in the right place, honestly. Um, I, I think you would have done good with the others, but I think that just the, sort of the way the chips have fallen, um, I, th I think you did, did well for yourself for the competition. And I think you did well for yourself beyond the competition as a result. I'd agree. I, I don't, you know, I, I didn't know what I was in for getting on picked by um, Ciara and Justin, but at this point, looking back, I'm glad I wasn't on any other team because um, they've been really good for me and, and for you know, keeping me focused and, and uh, not getting too wordy on some things like the marketing slick. You should have seen it originally, <laughs> but uh yeah. Well, I look at that stuff too, job. man, because I'm I'm kind of the same to some degree. Like, there's a reason I knew about the Hemingway editor. Okay, there's, I mean, yeah, there's a reason why I give the feedback that I give. It's not because I was just born with this innate ability to go out and create awesome marketing slicks. That couldn't be further from the truth. It's because I've gotten my rear end kicked enough times that I understand the tweaks that I need to make, and I'm just constantly fine tuning to make myself and my work product better and better and better. And that's a const that's an everyday thing. I think it is for all of us, man. Um, you know, so you'll get there. You know, you're not going to get there in just a few few weeks of being on the protege, but you will over time if you don't abandon that mission. What was the most frustrating challenge for you? Oh, good question. I think the um, challenge three was the uh, oh the conference or the the trade show that we did. And, you know, I had never given any thought to that before. And so that's really the, that, the only kind of, that's really the only kind of curveball I threw you guys when it comes to challenges. I think, I think everything else was kind of similar, if not the same to a certain degree, the last season Yep, that wasn't in there. Right. Yeah. It was, it was a shock and it took me a little while to come up with something. You know, we did, we did score a call with Josh Gurley and that was real helpful. That was one of the first things I was looking for was to see how many people knew to reach out to him. Seriously. Oh, yeah. 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 As soon as that was announced, I texted CR and said, is there a way we can get with Josh Gurley on this? Because I'm completely in the dark. And I warned him ahead of time. I'm like, get ready for your phone to light up, man. Because if these people are as smart as I think they are, they're going to be looking to pick your brain. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was the one. And I, you know, I don't know that I did great on that. Uh, my submission was a half hour long and so <laughs> i don't blame you if you still haven't watched it but uh kevin kevin did a great job on that one he, i think he actually 
participated in a trade show and he kind of he did no like he actually did it in real time and like took pictures from when he was there and that guy man like win or lose the protege that guy he's gonna ultimately be very very successful just because of the infrastructure that he's built like i don't know if you guys know this about him or not but um and i'm telling you this because you need to know before you go into the production phase if he ends up being in the top six but he's got like multiple Facebook groups with thousands of contractors in them that he created. He's got like the California contractors group, the California plumbers group or whatever, but he's got these captive Facebook groups that he's created that he's just should be able to go in and mine, you know? And I don't know that you're necessarily going to get middle market accounts out of them, but if his goal is to write enough business to put food on the table and get to the top three, he's... I don't, I don't know how I'm going to pick the top six at this yeah. point or the, the, or the remaining four, you know? And I've always tried to be very, um, I don't want to say political, but very soft in how I communicate with people because I literally, it's a toss up at this point. I could take almost anybody that's left standing and put them in those four spots and it's still going to be good competition. Right. It's still going to be good. And so I just, I don't know. I mean, I sort of pushed out a little bit, you know, and didn't uh, didn't um, eliminate people week after week. But I also felt like the work product that they were getting was or putting in was good. And I also didn't want to just stop working and helping people, giving them the feedback to say, hey, do this, do that and have them lose access to their coaches. So that was the other thing I did that was sort of a surprise is not take a different person or a different couple of people off every week, but I cannot go into the production phase with more than six people. It just can't happen. Like I can't manage that. And, you know, because part of that, whether you realize it or not, is you get an hour, you get, you get a, you get a lifeline. So if you have an actual account that you're out trying to get into, or you got into, and you don't know how to position or whatever else, you actually get a, a, get, get time scheduled with me to help you walk through that and tell you exactly what I would do, or you and your coaches in conjunction, or you in conjunction with your coaches. So you know, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. You're in, right? So it yeah. doesn't matter who the other ones are. You only have one you need to be responsible for. I'm I'm glad Abby is as well. And, you know, something... She you, earned it, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, like I say, if, if you had cut some of the contestants episode by episode, we probably wouldn't see some of these that have been in the last few episodes that are just killing it. She would be one of them. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I, I fear she would be. Kevin may be, too, because Kevin, uh, uh, maybe not. Kevin, if I would have gotten rid of Kevin, it would have been pretty early. Once the trade show thing hit, he's been on my radar ever since. But yep. I feel like with Abby, Abby's biggest issue is just like everything, everybody else, man. It, it's Abby. She's the, she's the one. She, she's, it's her head that, that she's stuck in. And now that she's gotten out of that, I've watched her blossom. and. Yep. You know, it's funny. I was um, I was at Brainshare and had two other agency principals come up to me and ask me if I could put them in touch with her because they wanted to recruit her to go work for them. And oh, I'm nice. like, I am not even getting in the <laughs> middle of that. Not a chance. You know, um, number one, Celia Cross would have me strung up <laughs> in, in no time. But you know, I think that's pretty cool that people are paying attention and that that if nothing else shows her that she belongs at the table. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's great. She's real, just fun person to, to talk with. And I got to meet her, you know, doing our um, show after the show, the protege recap that Sean Kirby, John Lugo, and Mitch Gibson and I do each week after the episode comes out. And we invited her on one time, and, and she was just a blast. Um, that's been a really fun part of all of this as well. It's just kind of talking with my competition, you know, week after week, and you know. Hear what well, you're expanding your about. network outside of Lawton, Oklahoma, man. I yeah. mean, I know you're involved in the big eye in the States. So you've got relationships there, but it's when you start really getting relationships in different parts of the country that the game changes because the amount of referrals that you can hand back and forth and everything else. I mean, it's, it's crazy how many referrals I get just from other agents every single week, just for whatever reason, you know, they see me at speak at IAOA or whatever else. And many times it's stuff I can't help them with, but I know the right person and I'll flip it over to them. And you know, everybody gets, ends up being happy. And I remember who refers stuff in and we refer first stuff out. Cause I don't refer, I don't write outside of, you know, incidental exposure. I don't write anywhere other than Florida. So, you know, if I've got a lead, it's going to go to somebody that 
has tried to help me or has helped me or that I know is going to do a good job. But building that national network is huge. And as you grow, especially if you're going to grow to multiple offices, that's going to do nothing but make you stronger. So I don't want to go too much longer, but I do want to know who, who do you think poses the biggest threat to you? From a production standpoint. Well, truthfully, Abby is right there. I, I can see that, you know, she's already got she's already got things going for her and she's got a very specific niche and there's a lot of people that won't go anywhere near that, including myself. Um, and so she's done a lot of great work to to make that successful. Um, you know, I don't want to give too much credit to Sean Kirby, but I can see the guy doing well in production. Um, same with Mitch. Uh, but, you know, if I'm being honest, once Jonathan Lugo graduates college this semester, <laughs> which I believe happens this month, you know, and he's given his full time to production, he's going to be a monster. Yeah, I think he will too. I think the one thing that saves you with Lugo is the policies that he's going after in his niche aren't necessarily middle market. So he's going to have to have a ridiculous amount of volume in order okay. to uh, to make that work. And that that's assuming he makes it into the top six, man. We don't know if Lugo is going to yeah. be there or not. You know, I don't, I don't know. As, it, as I sit here right now, I don't know. Part of the reason why is come of this, some of these slackers that I won't call by name, but you know who you are, still haven't turned in their challenge yet, right? So I need to get that done so that I can get everything in process and have this thing wrapped up because... Originally, I wanted the production to run from like May to August, but at this point, probably going to start, probably not even going to start until June, have it run June to September, or maybe, maybe I can get it, get it announced in a couple of weeks, but I'm not at a point in the production of the show where I can, I can do that yet. Yeah. So. Well, I got to think it, it lessens your chance of making it to the next round if you don't putting in your submissions on time. I agree. Kind of a big thing in this industry. <laughs> Especially when it's habitual. No names called. They know who they are. But um, what's the most fun thing that you've had happen? And we'll, leave, we'll, we'll end on this since you've been in the show. You know, it, it's just been the interaction with, um, with the coaches and, like I say, with, with the guys that I talk to every week about this stuff. And, you know, I've got friends that are – following along and they're cheering me on and um, always asking me, you know, how's the protege going? And so that's been a, a huge blessing. And really the whole experience has been a lot of fun and it's been motivating for sure. Um, I, I try and not let it take up too much of my work week. Uh, and then also not bleed over too much into my personal life, you know, but um, it, it's, I look at this year as the pivot moment in my career. And, you know, I, I've just got you to thank for that. And certainly Jason Cass and my coaches as well. Um, and just the mentorship and the interaction that I'm getting with um, some of these brilliant minds. It's, it's definitely an honor and a privilege. So thank you. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what you put up, man. You know, thank me when you put some money in your bank account. The, you know, the, anything outside of that's theory at this point. Yep. So, you know, I think I think there's always that's always going to happen. And, and you know, for me, the the rewarding part is just knowing that people listen to what I've been able to do, that I've been able to make work, and they take that and they don't have to use it exactly how I've ha have it packaged, but they can make it their own and go out and be successful doing similar things. I mean. Jason Webb wasn't in the top three and that Joker's written, you know, I can't even tell you how much business he's written, but he has written a ton of business doing things that we developed with him in protege. Right. Yeah. And to this day, he'll have a question, reach out to me, whatever else. And so for me, that's the part that's pretty cool because when I came into the industry, I didn't have anybody. I didn't have a legacy agency. I didn't have a mentor that I knew about that I, you know, I did. It was the guy that owned the agency, but how much attention would, did you really think I was going to get, you know? And so that's one of the things that I've always tried to do is give people the um, vehicle that they need to get the information that they need. So that's it, man. Well, Any parting words of wisdom before we, we wrap up? No, that, that's, um, that's kind of you to do that. And it definitely shows uh, young people like myself that 
this industry is full of people who care. And certainly there are the C players out there, you know, the, the average business owners, but um, I was speaking at UCO as an alumni to their insurance risk management group. And you I and told Wes. Them, yeah, yeah. With, uh, with Wes and, and Krista. And uh, yeah, I, I told all these college students, you know, if, if you're looking for an industry that there's a lot of people that'll just sit back and let business roll in and you know, take it easy, then and you're a person that can go in and really blow people's minds and blow those average players out of the water, then insurance is for you. And obviously they're already interested, but I think that's, that's a big part that we all have to play a, an active role in is spreading the word, you know, insurance agents are not just um, old guys sitting around with fishing poles, holding the dollar over you and saying, Oh, gotcha. You know, it, there's, there's really a lot of excitement and a lot of fun that could be had in this industry. My 19-year-old is learning that in real time as we speak. You know, he's, he went to Brainshare with me last week. He was with me um, out at the Better Agency Conference in Phoenix a couple weeks prior to that. He's headed to uh, Insurance Soup Live with me this week in uh, Arlington, Texas. And that's the one thing he said is, wow, I can't believe how cool these people are, man. They're just really good people, easy to talk to and everything else. And I said, you didn't buy anything from any of them, did you? <laughs> I said, there's some that are going to get you, you know, they'll convince you to buy something if you're not careful. But I mean, I think that's what makes any industry good is the people that it's, it's only going to be as good as the people who are in it. And I find few industries out there that have the level of talent and professionalism and just really just truly good people who have their moral compass dialed in their priorities. Right. And I think part of it is because that's why the insurance industry is so attractive to us. You don't have to worry about missing ball practice or a dance recital or, yep. you know, a church activity or whatever else you can plan your life around that. And so that's, that would be my message to any of those kids. If you want to have some freedom over your schedule, but still make good money, come talk to me. We'll be happy to talk. Cool. All right, man. Well, listen, we're going to wrap this one up. I am getting emails left and right over here. I keep glancing over at my other screen. I'm getting nervous as to what I'm going to have to answer when I get off. So I'm going to wrap this up. I really enjoyed having you on the, the, uh, the protege this season. Um, I, I look very much forward to seeing how things translate into real world. In my mind, you know, if I pick the right top six, all six of them are going to be fighting tooth and, and nail to, to win the overall thing. And, um, more important than that, just hopefully it changes the way that you're able to do business going forward and it monetarily rewards you and it helps you perpetuate and, and achieve whatever it is you've laid out for yourself. If that's three offices in one state, great. If you want to go nationwide, great. But um, hopefully just this experience gives you some small, you know, it's just some small piece of your success going forward. So I wish you nothing but the best, man. And uh, can't wait to start seeing deck pages roll in. Yes, sir. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 